Hey, I'm Michael, online pastor at Silverdale Baptist Church, and I'm excited to welcome you to our podcast. Now, after you listen to this episode, I hope you'll stick around for just a moment. I'll be sharing about some resources we have for you, as well as a few things going on at Silverdale right now that we would love for you to be a part of. Now, I really hope this podcast is just what you need today to help you in your relationship with Jesus. As you know, this summer we've been studying through the life of Joseph. It's been an amazing study. It's one of my favorite studies we've ever done so far. And what we've seen is we've seen Joseph go through a lot of hard times. And last week we saw that he was reconciled with his brothers who had betrayed him. And now he's going to prepare a way for his family to come to Egypt. And they're going to have this amazing family reunion. Now, I don't know if your family ever had family reunions. Growing up, my family had an annual family reunion. I mean, um, basically what we would do is we'd have some time in the summer and we'd all get together and we have this family reunion. Now, to be honest, I really didn't like our family reunions. And there's a number of reasons why I didn't like family reunions. Um, one reason is because um, I was the youngest cousin. And all my other cousins were older than me and they, some, many of them were married and already had kids. And so I didn't have anybody to relate to in our family reunions. But there was a second reason why I didn't like our family reunions. And it was simply this. It was on my mom's side, and they were from South Georgia. Now, nothing against anybody from South Georgia, but my mom's family from South Georgia, they were just a little different. Um, They were country bumpkins. They were hicks. They were rednecks. I don't know a kind way to put it, but, you know, I just didn't relate to their redneck kind of ways. I just didn't. In fact, it was crazy. Almost every one of them had two first names. There was Tommy Don and Ronnie Don and Johnny Don. And there was even a Don Don. It was just crazy, okay? We went to church with him one Sunday. Pastor asked for Bubba to pray. Twelve people stood up, okay? (laughs) That's my family, okay? Now, you contrast that family reunion with, with my you know, immediate family. I'm from Florida, and so when I travel back to Florida, and hang out with my older sister and brother, and all the cousins are the same age, and we just hang out, and we'll, we'll spend time and play games till almost midnight, and we enjoy those kind of family reunions. Well, today, we're going to study a family reunion. It's going to be an amazing family reunion of Joseph with his dad, with his family. But what we're going to learn is that this is actually a spiritual principle. This is all a type pointing to the ultimate family reunion that every one of us are going to have one day in heaven with God the Father and Jesus Christ. It's going to be amazing. And so I want you to learn the spiritual principles we're going to find in today's passage. So jot it on your outline. First principle is this. Jot this down. The way is provided. The way is provided. Joseph is going to provide a way for his family to live with him there in Egypt. Now, if you remember, the way the story ended last week is that he's reconciled with his brothers. Everybody's hugging and kissing each other, and everybody's crying. And word gets to Pharaoh that, hey, Joseph's family is here. And so look at how Pharaoh responds. Look at it in verse 17 of Genesis 45. Pharaoh said to Joseph, tell your brothers, do this. Load your animals and go on back to the land of Canaan. Get your father and your families and come back to me. I mean, Pharaoh's got this great plan. He says, I got a great plan. All of you guys, come move to Egypt. We love Joseph. We'll love you. We're going to bless you guys. Check it out. Look at it. Verse 18. I will give you the best of the land of Egypt, and you can eat from the richness of the land. Verse 19, take wagons from the land of Egypt for your dependents and your wives and bring your father here. Remember several years back, there was a TV show called Extreme Makeover, the home edition, right? 
And I used to love that show. And the reason why is because you had this needy family and they would redo their whole house. And, you know, Sears would be pushing in a new dishwasher and they would redo the entire house. And the climax of the show is whenever there was the big reveal, right? They'd say, move that bus. And, and you'd see the house and it was completely redone. And there'd be tears and everybody'd be clapping. And everybody just, it was just amazing. Well, what you have here is Extreme Makeover Egyptian Edition. I mean, check it out. Look at what Pharaoh says in verse 20. Do not be concerned about your belongings, for the best of the land of Egypt is yours. You know what Pharaoh's saying? Pharaoh's saying, hey, I know you guys are living in that ratty trailer in that ratty trailer park in Canaan. Will you just leave it there? You're going to have a new rancher in the valley here. You, you know, I know you guys, you know, you're push-starting your Kia every morning. Hey, leave that ratty, you know, Kia there. You're all getting escalades in Egypt, you know. I mean, that's the idea. He's saying, hey, you know what? I know you guys are all sitting on that, you know, cheap press board Ikea furniture that you put together. Hey, leave that junk there, right? I can remember whenever Susan and I first got married, all of our furniture was press board furniture. And you had to always assemble it, right? And, of course, they say they give you the tools to do it. You know what it is? An Allen wrench. That's it. And what do you do? You crank it, and you crank it, crank it. It's like a you know, monkey and organ grinder. You crank it, crank it, crank it. And it never turns out exactly right. You got all this crooked furniture. Well, well Pharaoh's saying, hey, leave all your crooked furniture behind. You're going to have new stuff here. And then Pharaoh, he says, okay, this is what I'm going to do. And Joseph's like, hey, I'm going to up it from that. Look at it. Look what he says, verse 21. Joseph gave them wagons as Pharaoh had commanded, and he gave them possessions for the journey, and he gave each of the brothers change of clothes. Now, that's significant because in that day, you may have one change of clothes. And so now, they get all new threads, right? I mean, they are really styling. And then he really wants to bless his younger brother and his dad. Look at verse 22. But he gave Benjamin 300 pieces of silver and five changes of clothes. He sent to his father the following 10 donkeys carrying the best products of Egypt and 10 female donkeys carrying grain and food and provisions for his father on the journey. I mean, you can imagine how these brothers felt. I mean, you know what? They are riding back in style. I mean, as they're driving back to, remember, this is famine. So you see these parched crops, you see dead cattle on their way, and here they are. They're like royalty. They've gone from rags to riches. They're in royalty in these new chariots and new clothes. Now, I can remember, it was about this time as, and as a child growing up, my mom would buy new clothes heading into the new school year. And whenever she would bring the clothes home, we would try on the new clothes. And it was like, you know, a fashion show in our, our house. And as a little kid, I'm like, oh, look at me and my new clothes, you know. I can remember the one time our family got a new car. And I remember whenever we drove into the church parking lot that day with a new car, we're like, ooh, look at us. We're in a new car. Well, that's got to be how Joseph and his brothers felt. They got new chariots, new clothes. They're coming back in style, right? They're blessed. But listen to the this. Every blessing comes with a warning. Jot that on your outline. Here's the principle. Blessings come with a warning. It's a real interesting passage here that at how Joseph warns them after they've been blessed. Look at it, verse 24. So Joseph sent his brothers on their way, and as they were leaving, he said to them, don't argue on the way. You go, why do you say that? Because Joseph knows human nature. He, he knows that, you know, these guys have got more stuff than they've ever dreamed of having in their lifetime, and they can argue with each other. He knows human nature. He knows they've been jealous in the past. He knows they can be jealous again, right? As a pastor, I've seen this dozens of times. Money come in and divide a family. It's crazy. 
You want to see a modern-day example of that? I mean, you just look at the statistics of people that win the lottery. Higher divorce rate, higher bankruptcy rate, even higher, you know, suicide rate. It's crazy. Money comes with a warning. You can imagine these guys, they're coming back to Canaan, and one of them goes, you got more stuff than I did. I like your clothes better than mine. Why do you get to drive the chariot, right? I mean, it's just crazy. That's human nature. And Joseph gives them a warning. And here's a warning to you. When you're blessed of God, remember, there's warning to that blessing. And so the first thing is, is there's provision. He's provided a way for them to go to Egypt. Here's the spiritual principle. Christ has provided a way for you to go to heaven, all right? Here's the second principle. Jot this on your outline. The good news is announced. The good news is announced. So what are they going to do? They've got to come back. They're coming into Canaan. They've got to announce to their dad that Joseph is alive. The only problem is, is they've got to also confess. They've got to say, hey, um, you know what? <laughs> we lied to you 22 years ago. Uh, he, did, he wasn't eaten by animals. No, we, we sold him as a slave. And so look at it, verse 25. So they went up from Egypt and came to their father Jacob in the land of Canaan. They said, Joseph is still alive, and he's ruler over all the land of Egypt. Now, look at this. Jacob was stunned, for he did not believe them. The word there, stunned, literally means a hard heart. I believe he's having a coronary. He probably falls on the ground and going, Elizabeth, this is the big one, right? I mean, literally, he's just taken back. Why? Because he's not expecting any of this. I mean, think about this. They're already a few weeks overdue because they're late. And then what happens? You know what? They come riding up with this new threads and new chariots. And he's thinking, okay, who did they rob, right? And then they have this outlandish news that, hey, Joseph is still alive. No, he can't be alive. I saw the bloody garment. He can't be alive. And they go, no, he really is. He's ruler over, you know, all of Egypt. You should see his house. It's a, it's a huge, as big as the Ponderosa. And, and, and guess what? He's got a beautiful wife and two kids. And he wants us to come to Egypt with him. Look at it. There's the evidence, Dad, verse 27. But when they told Jacob all that Joseph had said to them, and when he saw the wagons that Joseph had sent to transport him, look at it, the spirit of their father revived. Then Israel said, enough, my son Joseph is still alive. Talk about incredible good news, right? 22 years he's been grieving. For 22 years, this man has lived like a dead man. But now that he hears the good news, guess what? His soul is now revived. Here's the application point. Jot this on your outline. Good news revives the soul. Good news revives the soul, doesn't it? Look at what it says. Proverbs chapter 15, verse 30 says this. A cheerful look brings joy to the heart, and good news gives health to the bones. I've seen this hundreds of times. Maybe, you know, I'm sitting with a family in a waiting room and surgery's taking place. And, and you know, as, as much as you try not to worry everybody, there's this heaviness in the waiting room, right? And then what happens? The doctor comes out and he says, ah, the surgery was successful. The cancer is gone. There's, there's no cancer. It, it's, it's amazing. And suddenly this heaviness is removed, right? Why? Because it's good news. As a pastor, you know what I've really seen the most? Whenever people have received the good news of Jesus Christ, when they believe the gospel of Jesus Christ, that there is a Savior, Jesus, who died for your sins, but he's alive. And whenever they believe, their soul revives. 
I mean, I've seen it. The Bible calls it being born again. A transformation happens. Suddenly the heaviness of the world disappears. They have a new joy. They have a new life. They have a new outlook. I've seen families reconciled, addictions abandoned, all because a soul is revived. That's what's happening here. And so here it is. Jacob believes the good news. His soul is revived. And then what happens? Third thing happens. Jot this on your outline. Worship is restored. Worship is restored. Jacob is going to do something that he hasn't done in 25 years. You, want, you go, what's that? Worship the Lord. Check it out. Look at it. It's new chapter, Genesis 46, verse 1. Israel set out with all that he had and came to Beersheba. And he offered sacrifices to the God of his father, Isaac. Now you go, well, why is this significant? It's significant because he hasn't done this in 25 years. Last time you see Jacob worshiping like this is all the way back in Genesis chapter 35. You go, why? Because basically what's happened is, is that Jacob has had some major losses in his life. His dad Isaac has died. His, his beloved wife Rachel died in childbirth. You have his, his children, Reuben and Judah, they're rebelling. And then you have Joseph, who he thinks is dead. And literally, from Genesis 35 to Genesis 36, you have Joseph is like a dead man walking. Spiritually, he is bankrupt. He is a do-nothing kind of dad. He is spiritually in a dry, dry place. You know, how, how does that happen? Let me see if I illustrate it like this. I have these boxes here. And these boxes here, they, they represent loss, hurt, pain, sorrow, grief that comes into our life. And we can typically handle one or two, but as they begin to stack up, they begin to overwhelm us. And so Jacob, you know what? The death of his dad, Isaac. And then there was, okay, the death of his beloved wife, Rachel. And then what happened? His sons, Judah and Reuben, they rebel. And then to top it all off, oh my goodness, Joseph, his beloved son, dies. And what happens? He can't handle it anymore. And his life all comes tumbling down. He's fallen. He can't, he can't get back up, right? And something in Joseph's heart, I mean Jacob's heart, dies. Now that's what's interesting about this entire story in Genesis. Is that, look, Joseph experienced the same kind of hurts. And yet... He didn't run away from God. No, he pressed into God and he worshiped God. That's why it's significant in this story that the father's not coming to rescue the son in Egypt. No, the son who's in Egypt is coming to rescue the dad. Why? Because Jacob didn't worship God in his hard times. Joseph did. And it's the same for you. In the hard times of life, you got to be a Joseph that presses into God. God, even in this loss and pain, I'm going to choose to worship you. And what happens whenever you choose to do that? Well, jot this on your outline. Here's the principle. When you worship, God speaks. When you worship, God will speak. When you say, God, I'm going to choose to worship you even in the pain, it's amazing how God will sustain you with his words. Look at it. Verse 2. That night, God spoke to Israel in a vision. Jacob, Jacob, he said. And Jacob replied, here I am. Now, some of you may have a little trouble with that verse. Because you've been taught a theology that basically says this. It's called cessationism. That you know what? God doesn't talk like that anymore. 
God doesn't speak to his people like that anymore. There's no dreams. There's no visions. God doesn't talk. There's no miracles. There's no angels that'll work in your life anymore. Can I tell you something? That's not true. God still speaks. Now, I know that some people will go to the other extreme, right? They'll go to another extreme. They're charismaniacs, and and they think that, you know what? God talks all the time. God God is like a middle school girl with unlimited minutes. He's talk, 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 talk all the time, right? Well, you know what? Both of those are extremes. Does God speak? Most definitely. But when God speaks, it's always with purpose. It's always intentional in your life. Look at what he says in verse 3. God said, I am God, the God of your father. Do not be afraid to go down to Egypt. For I will make you into a great nation there. I will go down with you to Egypt and I will also bring you back. Joseph will close your eyes when you die. Now that's a Hebrew custom to close your eyes when you die. That just simply means this. It just simply means that you know what? Joseph is going to be there at your death. Normally it's the oldest son. But Joseph is going to be there. And when you die he's going to be the one that's going to close your eyes. That means you know what Jacob? You've been away from your son for a long time, but you're going to have some great years there in Egypt with him. And you're going to hang out together and you're going to love each other. And he's going to be right by your side when you die. In fact, here's the promise, Jacob. I'm going to build a great nation of you. I mean, you know what? You're going to come there with just a handful of people. I'm going to build a great nation and I'm going to bless you there in Egypt. So don't be afraid to go there. I'm going to be there with you. Okay? And so what happens? Whenever you believe the good news, worship is restored and God speaks to you. But then there's a final thing that happens in our life. It's where we all are right now, waiting, right? Jot down this final point, and it's this. Paradise is waiting. Paradise is waiting. See, Jacob is now leaving the parched land of Canaan, and he's heading to Egypt. Egypt at this time is in the 12th dynasty. It's beautiful. I mean, it's got incredible structures and buildings, and Pharaoh has already promised the best of the land. And so they head that way. Look at it, verse 5. Jacob left Beersheba. The sons of Israel took their father Jacob in the wagons Pharaoh had sent to carry him along with their dependents and their wives. Now, I don't know if you've ever had to move before, but I don't like moving. I've had to move multiple times. I hate moving. In fact, people say, hey, I'm moving. Can I help? And I'm like, I'm sorry, I'm busy. I haven't even told you what day. I'm telling you, I'm busy. Why? Because we hate, everybody hates moving, right? Well, can you imagine? You got 12 families. This is a major relocation effort. 12 families are moving all at once with all their stuff and all their animals. Check it out. Verse 6, they also took their cattle and possessions they had acquired in the land of Canaan. Then Jacob and all his offspring with him came to Egypt. Now, you may go, well, how many were there? Now, it's a real interesting text. We won't go through it. But from verses 8 through 26, you have a listing of all the names of Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. You have the listing of all their family, all their kids, all their grandkids, all coming to Egypt. Every one of them by name. And then, how many of them were there? Look at it, verse 27. All those of Jacob's household who came to Egypt, 70 persons. 70 people, including Joseph and his family. And whenever I see this picture, I'm reminded of that old classic book, The Grapes of Wrath. Do you remember that? You have all these Oklahomans. They're leaving the dust bowl of Oklahoma, and they're getting all their stuff in a truck, and they're heading, you know, out to California, the promised land, right? And that's sort of the idea. Well, that's the idea here. You have Jacob leaving the dust bowl of Canaan with all their stuff and all their stuff put together. I mean, a modern-day image is, take a look at this picture right here. This is sort of what I imagine 
that scene looking like? You know what? They're heading out to Egypt with all their possessions. You can just manage it like the Beverly Hillbillies, you know? You got, you know, there's, there's Jacob in his rocking chair on top, right? Now, what I love about this is here they are. As soon as they get into the edge of Egypt, look what happens. Look how Joseph responds. Verse 28, when they came to the land of Goshen, Joseph hitched up the horses to his chariot and went to Goshen to meet his father, Israel. I love that. He's like, I can't wait. I'm not going to wait for my dad to come to me. I'm going to go out there. I'm going to get my horses hitched up. I'm going to go out there and see my dad. And so here's the reunion. Look at it. Verse 29, Joseph presented himself to him, to Israel, threw his arms around him and wept for a long time. Here it is. Joseph cried again, right? Every time we see Joseph, every story, he's crying. But imagine, here's 22 years of separation, 22 years of disappointment, 22 years of tears. Here's Joseph hugging his dad, and he feels like a little boy again. So here it is, this reunion in Egypt. But there's a final aspect of this. What what does that mean? Look at it. Jot this down. Here's the principle. The despised are blessed with the best. The despised are blessed with the best. You see, the Hebrews are despised in Egypt because of their trade. And yet Joseph has a plan. I've got a plan. Hey, I want them to go to the land of Goshen. The land of Goshen is literally the floodplain of the Nile. This will be perfect for my family and their livestock. So what does Joseph do? Joseph's like, okay, I've got to coach my brothers because they're like a bunch of pumpkin you know, country pumpkin, bumpkins, you know, pumpkins too if you want to call them that. There's a bunch of hicks, right? And here they are seeing the CEO of the country, Pharaoh. Look at verse 33. So he says, when Pharaoh addresses you and asks, what is your occupation? You're to say, your servants, we, both we and our fathers, have raised livestock from our youth until now. Then you will be allowed to settle in the land of Goshen since, look at it, All shepherds are detestable to Egyptians. Circle that. Circle shepherds are detestable. Just imagine the scene. Put it in today's terms. You got Joseph's brothers coming in to see Pharaoh. And you know, and and Judah's got on a sheepskin coat. And and you know what? Reuben's got a NASCAR hat on. And, 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 And Simeon's got a chew in his mouth and says, I like fishing and shooting off fireworks. And Pharaoh says, we've got just the place for you out in the country. Goshen will be awesome for you. You don't want to be in town with us. You get Goshen. And I love that because in the sovereignty of God, that's the perfect place for them. In fact, God uses that perfect place to literally raise up a nation because when they leave Egypt, they're going to have over a million people. Over 70 people come in, over a million when they leave. It's all part of God's plan. And it's the same way with you and I. We're the detestable. Every one of us here, we are all sinners saved by God's grace. We don't deserve heaven. We deserve hell. In the sight of a holy God, we are detestable. And yet, because of our big brother Jesus, who is our Savior, we, the detestable ones, get the best of not Gothen, but heaven. Now, I hope you've caught the spiritual principles as we've gone through this. I shared this last week, that Joseph is a perfect type of Jesus Christ. I mean, you go, what does that mean? That means that whenever you see an Old Testament historical person like Joseph, it can point to the person of Jesus Christ. Joseph was the beloved son of his father. Jesus is the beloved son of God. Joseph was abandoned and hated by his brothers. So was Jesus. 
Joseph was, you know, you know, falsely accused, so was Jesus. Joseph was sold for silver, so was Jesus. Joseph was condemned, so was Jesus. Joseph was assumed dead. Jesus was dead, right? And, and yet, Joseph becomes the savior of all his people and all the world. Jesus becomes the savior of all his people, Israel, and all the world. Now, I hope that you catch the spiritual symbolism of today's message. Let's see, Joseph made provision for them to come to Egypt. Jesus makes provision so that you can come to heaven. The good news is announced. Not Joseph is alive, Jesus is alive. And at first, you know what? We don't believe it. It's too good to be true. But then when we see the evidence, we believe. And when we believe, what happens? Our soul is revived. We're born again. And suddenly, worship is reestablished with Almighty God. And then we begin to hear God speak to us. And then what do you find? You find in Genesis, oh, here's Jacob and all a listing of all the names of all his family coming to Egypt. Well, I got good news for you. If you're a follower of Jesus Christ, your name is written in a book too. It's called the Lamb's Book of Life. Your name is listed there. And then what do we do? We're anticipating the day whenever Jesus, our Savior, comes and gets us. And you know what? Jesus is going to be just like Jacob one day. He's going to gather the horse, and he's going to get it on, and he's going to come down, and he's going to get his bride, the church of Jesus Christ. That is what is pictured here in this passage. I think one of the most beautiful images in the Bible of our relationship with Christ is the marriage supper of the Lamb. We're not only going to have a reunion one day, there's going to be a marriage. Jesus is the groom, and we're the bride waiting for the groom to come and get us. Um, it speaks to the intimacy and love that God has for us. Some of you may know this, but a few weeks back, I conducted my, um, my daughter Rebecca's wedding. And uh, I've got to be honest with you, I've conducted hundreds of weddings, but it is different whenever you're giving your own daughter away. And I've seen hundreds of brides walk down the aisle, but it's completely different whenever you're walking down the aisle with your daughter. It's completely different. You see, as a dad, in that moment, whenever the doors open and the music, you know, reaches a climax and everybody stands... Your mind is flooded with all these memories of childhood and adulthood and prayers. Hundreds of prayers that you've prayed that your daughter will one day find a man who loves her and who loves Jesus. And there's a real special moment as you're walking down the aisle. There's this moment whenever the, eye, the eyes of the bride and the groom meet. And as I'm looking down the aisle, I see my future son-in-law, Alec, who loves my daughter. And tears are flowing down his cheeks. And I look at my daughter at that very moment, whenever she sees that, and tears start flowing down her cheeks. And I'm overwhelmed. She's overwhelmed. We're all overwhelmed. This picture right here sort of captured that very moment. We're all overwhelmed. <laughs> but can I tell you, there's my daughter overwhelmed with anticipation and love and joy of that moment. But let me tell you something. That doesn't even come close to the day when Jesus comes for you. 
that you are his bride that he's been waiting to greet and love. And one day the trump's going to sound. The door of heaven's going to spring open. Everybody's going to rise. Jesus is going to get on his horse and he's going to ride. And he's going to come down for his bride. And we're going to meet him in the air. And there's going to be a reunion like we've never experienced before. And he's going to wipe every tear from our eyes. His nail-pierced hand is going to come across your cheek. And he's going to say, there, there, child. No more tears. I know it's been a long journey, but come on home. Not to Goshen in Egypt, but to paradise in heaven. That is what all this is anticipating. And that's why the very end of the book of the Bible, Revelation, says this. Come, Lord Jesus, come. The Bible says the spirit and the bride are waiting. Come, Lord Jesus, come. Are you ready? Folks, one day Jesus is coming again for the great reunion of heaven, for the marriage supper of the Lamb. Are you ready? Well, I hope this was helpful to you. If while listening, you realized you need to take the next step in your relationship with Jesus, we would love to help you with that. You can connect with us by clicking the link in the show notes to our website and then clicking the connect card button. In our weekend worship services, we are in a sermon series called The Seven Commands of Christ. Jesus gave dozens of commands, and as followers of Jesus, we should obey all of them. Over the next several weeks, we are focusing on seven that will change your life. We would love for you to join each week at one of our campuses, or you can attend online. You will find service times by clicking the link in the show notes to our website. You know, there's so many ways for you to get involved and be a part of what God is doing here at Silverdale, and we really want you to feel welcome and a part. So please, stay connected. Be sure to like and follow us on the different social media accounts. You'll find all the links in the show notes of this episode. And lastly, help us spread the word about this podcast. Take a moment to share this episode with your family and friends. Again, we appreciate you listening and hope you will join us again next time.